This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Well, happy Father's Day. Adam was given a charge, a charge over the Garden of Eden to tend it. To keep it. And we dads are likewise. We're given a charge to tend to the garden that is our family. And there will be battles and there will be troubles, but it can be the most beautiful garden that we'll experience in this, in this life. In this charge, I'd like to break that down into two components, two responsibilities. And one of them I'm going to liken to tending the soil. I'm, I'm a big advocate for a good foundation, and I believe that the, a, a good garden starts with good soil. So that involves, you know, getting the rocks out getting the weeds out, breaking it up, making it fertile, getting the soil ready to receive what you want to grow there. And I'm going to liken that to holiness. So we will talk about holiness in our life for our families. And the second, obviously, Planting, planting and watering. Wouldn't be a garden unless you planted something there, right? And I'm going to liken that to righteousness. So let's start with holiness. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. And I'm looking out this morning to fathers that know this, and I'm glad to be here among y'all. But that's, that's the challenge, isn't it? Sin's desire is for us. It is a constant pressure. It's like being submerged in water and trying to maintain a watertight uh, seal. It's always trying to get in. But our charge is to rule over it. Before we look at that in our families... Look at that in ourselves. 
There's a saying that goes, admitting you have a problem is the first step to recovery. Nothing gets better until we can reject the lies and embrace honesty. Admitting you have a problem is the first step. Why? Why is that the first step? Because we like, we like to believe that we don't have a problem, right? Sometimes we don't want to hear the truth. We don't want to believe it. We tend to look at other things, and maybe that one dark corner, we just don't give it much attention. We don't like to look there. Quite frankly, we lie to ourselves. Fathers, do not tolerate lying. Do not accept that in yourselves. Do not teach your children that deceit is a small thing. Lies are the native language of the devil, right? You, Jesus speaking about where he came from and who his father was says to these certain Pharisees, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him, and when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies." Don't tolerate that in your families. Don't tolerate that in yourselves. Our corruption all started with a lie. You shall not surely die. And our salvation started with the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life, said Jesus. You know, I was uh, remembering when I was a kid, there was this commercial on TV, and I know some of the, some of the dads here will remember this. A, uh, a father is confronting his teenage son because uh, his mom found some drugs in his room. And it, it's just a commercial, right? It's just a commercial. But... The father in the commercial is confronting his son in his room. And this, the son is making up a bunch of excuses at first. You know, bunch of, it's not mine. It's, I don't know where it, you know, dad keeps cutting him off. And eventually he says, tell me, say, answer me. Who taught you how to use this stuff? And in a sudden burst of honesty... The son looks at his father and says, You, all right? I learned it from watching you. Our children 
They learn from watching us. So we cannot allow unholiness in ourselves because it poisons the soil of our whole family. It makes toxic that garden. So how will righteousness grow there? Jesus said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. They defile a man, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Well, let's not get too caught up in teaching our kids to wash their hands and make their beds. Right? Those are important things in the house. The kids need to learn that stuff, right? But they're tools. They're means to an end. To teach them to live clean holy lives that are orderly and righteous. That's why we have these things. That's why we have this physical world to help teach us about the spiritual things. So let not that be the end of the lesson we're teaching our kids. You wash your hands, great, that's the end. That's all there is to it. No. <laughs> that's an example how we're to live spiritually. Holiness is serious business. I'm going to be back in Leviticus, Nadab and Abihu, a passage we all know well. The priesthood is being established. Okay, they just got the law. Aaron is the high priest. It was kind of a first go of it. Then Aaron lifted his hand toward the people, blessed them, and came down from offering the sin offering, the burnt offering, and peace offering. So Aaron, the high priest, has just come down. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, and fire came out from, um, below, uh, from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. And this is a great, it's a great moment, right? It's, it's the high priest has, has made the offer and the sacrifices and, and fires come out from the Lord and he's received it. He has accepted it. And the people are falling down. They're worshiping. This is all good. This is good stuff. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer, put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from before the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron, whose sons just died, held his peace. 
And the Lord spoke to Aaron. I'm skipping some verses down. The Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink, you nor your sons, when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that you may distinguish between what is holy and unholy, what is unclean and clean, and that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. See the implication why did, why did they go and they offered this profane fire? I feel like the implication here, I may be reading between the lines, but the implication seems to be that they were a little drunk. And that may be incidental. Maybe either way, the truth is the same, right? That there is a difference between God, to God between holy and unholy, between unclean and clean. He's telling Aaron, telling Aaron, don't be drinking wine before you go in there. Know the difference between holiness and unholiness. It may have been that the alcohol got in the way of their duties. Well, we're the priests now. The Lord is the high priest. And he has made the sacrifice, the offering to the Lord. And the Lord has received it, of course. And we are the priests. And we must discern between what is holy and what is unholy between what is unclean and what is clean. 1 Peter 2, built up a spiritual house, that's us, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But before Peter writes that, he writes, therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes desire instead the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So 1 Peter chapter 2 begins with a call for holiness. And says, instead of that, desire what to drink? The Word. Desire it like babies. Desire milk. Desire it like that. Instead of unholiness. That you may grow thereby. And then, then you'll know the difference. You'll be able to offer those sacrifices that are spiritual. I want this to be real to us right now. Because it's just as serious now as it was then. Right? Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5. The new priesthood, the new one, has just been established. 
And offerings are being made. People are bringing their offerings to God. They're selling possessions, possessions and, and they're bringing the money. They're laying it at the apostles' feet. So For what? You know, to give to God so that people that are in need are taken care of. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the proceeds. His wife was also uh, being aware of it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? What do you think he told himself about this, that it was okay to be doing this? It wasn't that he was holding back part of it. Peter explains, while it remained... Was it not your own? And after it was sold, was not it in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. What's the problem? He's lying. Maybe he lied to himself. What's the harm? Everybody else is bringing their whole things. I don't want to look like it's not the whole possession, or not the whole price. I'm going to keep some of it. No, nothing wrong with that. And he's right. What was wrong was the lie. What was wrong was to present that image that was false. So now let's get out our mirrors. What image are we portraying? You know, society generally understands that transparency is a good thing. And there are occasions when, you know, we need to be uh, uh, discreet, uh, we need to be appropriate, not inappropriate. But that's not what we're talking about. What, what are we telling people? What are we telling ourselves? Are we telling people, are we telling ourselves the truth? Or are we just putting on an image? Then Ananias, hearing these words from Peter, fell down and breathed his last and died right there. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things, and the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. It was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. And they'd, said it, they'd sold it for more. Then Peter said to her, How is it? that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord. Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, carried her out, and buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all those who heard these things. Yeah, I, I, I would guess so, right? Holiness. 
It's a big deal. And God starts this covenant off the same way as He started the last one. Make an example. Holiness. I must be regarded as holy. The tabernacle and the temple. The holy place and the holy of holies. They could be dangerous places. We're the temple now. We're the temple now. And what does Paul write to the Corinthians, chapter 3? Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? This is a good thing. But beware. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy. Which temple you are? Fathers, pursue holiness. This is where we start. If we, if we get that messed up, Nothing else is going to work. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, the same, very similar, said, You are the temple of the living God. They had a lot of temples in Corinth, didn't they? Right? That's, that's Greece. A lot of temples in Greece. You are the temple of the living God, Paul clarifies. The living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. It's a beautiful thing, really. It's a beautiful thing. But it's sobering. It's a sobering thing. Therefore, he continues, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Let's be careful, guys, what we bring home to our families. Right? I know we go out. Right? We have jobs and we need to go places and we interact with this world. And this world, well, it's the world, isn't it? It has the powerful influence Let's remain close to God. And let's go to Him to have our feet washed daily. Because we don't want to bring what's out there home, do we? P. 
Peter writes, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. What you do, what you think, all of it. Don't tolerate sin in your heart, fathers. Galatians chapter 5, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, hearsays, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Unholy things hinders and frustrates the good that you would do. It's a toxin. It's an inhibitor. (laughs) It poisons the ground in your home. But holiness is a fertile soil, free of weeds and rocks and ready for planting. Ready for planting righteousness. Nature abhors a vacuum. I I recall the, the... parable that Jesus told about the demonic who, excuse me, was freed from the demon. The demon left and went around and then said, hey, I'm going to go back to where I was. It was better there. And so taking more demons with him, came back and found the place nice and neat and orderly, inhabited, and the fate of the the guy was worse than than it was at first. It's not enough to just get rid of the bad. You've got to fill it with the good, right? One of the oldest techniques I know of to try to keep weeds from, from just proliferating in an in a area of uh, prepared soil is to plant something else there, right? Fill that soil up with something that you want, with something good. That by itself has a huge effect on the weeds, doesn't it? I used to uh, weed our front landscaping when I was a boy. This is when we lived in Oklahoma. And we had planted uh, a bunch of uh, small plants in there. And several of these little things were uh, a ground cover kind of a plant. And uh, we didn't have any mulch or any other kind of thing down. Uh, over the soil. So the soil was real exposed. And it would, these weeds would pop up all over the place. Especially uh, crabgrass. Man, I hate that stuff. It just pops up out of nowhere, doesn't it? And uh, so I'd get out there and I would pluck and pluck and pluck and pluck all this stuff out. <clears throat> but you know, in a year or two, that ground cover, because it didn't have to contend with all the weeds, right? It grew and it spread and it put down roots and it became strong. And you know, I, I almost hard, hardly ever had to do any kind of weeding once that stuff spread and took, you know, took hold in that 
front landscaping. I wish I could tell you what that stuff was. It's kind of like a little, little lettuce or something, kind of purple. Y'all, some of y'all are probably saying, I know what that is. If it was appropriate, I'd shout it out. <laughs> um, but I thought that was so cool. It's like once that stuff took, it's like, huh. I, I, weeding was like, just took a couple of minutes. You know, what happened to the hour I had been spending? Oh, I just kind of glance around there and, and there's still no mulch, right? It's just because we had filled it with good things. And so righteousness. So righteousness. You reap righteousness by sowing righteousness. It's as simple as that, isn't it? You know, how do we, how do we get, you know, anything? You want apples? What do you plant? Let me plant apples. Well, what else do you want? You want corn? You plant corn, right? It's, <laughs> this, it doesn't get any simpler than this. It's been that way from the beginning. You want righteousness? So righteousness. So righteousness. Well, my kids, they, they, just, they just won't obey. I'm the parent, and they should obey. Yeah. They should. What makes us good fathers is how we behave when they don't behave. And so righteousness. Hosea prophesies, sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. Now, there's a lot of context there, and I'm not in the game of just plucking verses out of context. Um, Hosea is prophesying against Israel. A lot of wickedness going on in Israel, and the, it was, God was fixing to bring the hurt uh, via the Assyrians. And Hosea writes, show for yourself, sow for yourselves righteousness. And I think that's a timeless, that's, that's, that's timeless wisdom from God. Sow righteousness and reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes <clears throat> and rains righteousness on you. You know, there's this, there's this saying about praying faithfully. Or prayers of faith. You, you want rain? Pray for rain. But, but what? Pack your umbrella. Don't, don't pray for rain and then leave your umbrella in the closet, in the back of the closet at home, you know? I mean, what is that telling God? What, what, is, what is he supposed to think about your prayer? Well, they clearly don't believe it, that I'm going to do anything. Pray for rain. Pack your umbrella. Thank you. That was a commercial for bottled water right there, wasn't it? All of y'all. <laughs> Pray for rain, but pack that umbrella. Right? Pray with faith. Be prepared for the blessings that you expect to come from God. 
Or do you not think that God's going to really, really? Is this just some motions that we go through? What do you expect God to think? Sow righteousness. Break up your fallow ground. Then expect the rain of righteousness to come from God. Right? Let's, let's prepare for his blessings. Proverbs 11.18 The wicked man does deceptive work, but he who sows righteousness will have a sure reward. And you see, there's the contrast, right? The wicked, what, what do they do? They do deceptive work. You know, they're lying. They're in the business of deceit. That's what they're sowing. But he who will have a sure reward is the one who sows not deceit, not wickedness, but righteousness. Proverbs 11.30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. So righteousness, what do we reap? Life. We reap life. And he who wins souls is wise. I think that's interesting pairing, isn't it? The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. We want the best for our kids, don't we, fathers? Let's be about sowing that righteousness. The righteous man, Proverbs 20, verse 7, walks in his integrity, and his children are blessed after him. This concept, this, this image of sowing and reaping righteousness is, uh, is all through the Scriptures. This planting and harvesting. What goes in between planting and harvesting? The big thing that we do. <laughs> we wait. We do a lot of waiting. I read that if you, if you want to be in the business, I'm not saying that this is, this is a thing for us today, but in the Old Testament, you know, they had vineyards. And that wasn't just, a, oh, I'm going to plant these grapes and, you know, later this week I'm going to make some wine. <laughs> no. And they planted it. And those, those vines may have to grow for a couple of years before the grapes got, you know, before they produced decent grapes. And you might have to wait for two, three more years before the chemistry of the grapes, the balance of the grapes was uh, good enough for making good wine. That's a long wait. But they kept it. Yeah, they kept those vineyards, didn't they? They tended those vines. They chased out the vermin. They put up fences. They pulled out the weeds and they waited. And then came the harvest. Parents don't get discouraged. You just keep planting, keep tending. 
Keep watering. Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, said Jesus, for they shall be filled. Are we, are we developing in our children our, a taste for righteousness? You know what my kids have a taste for? Didn't take them long to develop a taste for this. Biscuits and chocolate gravy. Had some this morning. It was a surprise treat for my wife on Father's Day. I tell you, I grew up with that. If, if, there's, if, there's a, if there's one comfort food in this world, it's that. <laughs> How do we develop that taste for righteousness in our children? We feed it to them, right? We feed it to them from a young age. So that they will hunger and thirst for it. How, we do, how do we do that? Well, well, we need to talk to our children, don't we? Do you talk to your children about God's commandments, about His, His righteous Word? I know you do. I know your kids, all right? I know you, you talk to your children. And this is right out of Deuteronomy, right? We all know this. And these words which I command you today, God says, shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, right? And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Talk about him. Discuss him. Is that it? That's not it, is it? That's not just it. Why? Because if <laughs> what speaks louder than words right? Our actions. If we're talking one way and doing another way, we got a term for that, don't we? That's hypocrisy. That's hypocrisy. Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. It's poison. It poisoned their righteousness, didn't it? If righteousness was a well of water, that was poisoned water. What good's that for? Let love, uh, Paul writes to the Romans, be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to that which is good. It's not enough to tell them it's not enough to lecture them over and over. We must show them. Psalms 103 says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Our Father shows us compassion. He shows us. He doesn't just tell us to be compassionate, does He? We know this. This isn't 
This isn't anything profound. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. He shows us compassion. And he says, this is, this, and this in the same kind of ways. Like, you know how a good, a good father, presumably a good father, is, shows compassion to his children? That's, that's the way the Lord looks at us and shows compassion to us. Like a, like a good father shows compassion on his children. That's the example for us. Yeah, newsflash, right? How do we be a good father? We look to our father, <laughs> to our heavenly father. How does he behave? We try to be godly. We want to be the apple that doesn't fall far from that tree, right? We want to be like our father. And our father shows us compassion so that we can show compassion to our children. <clears throat> Micah 6, 8, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. He's shown us. I mean, that's not just me, right? Hasn't God shown us? He's God. He, he wasn't obligated to show us. Telling us should have been enough. But hasn't he shown us that he's just? Hasn't he shown us his mercies new every morning? Isn't the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus, meek and lowly in, of heart, didn't he humble himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross? Right? Hasn't God shown us how to be a good father? Let's do it. We've got to show our children, right? We've got to show our children justice, to be just, to be merciful, to be humble before God. We need to show them our obedience to God. Sometimes they disobey. We have to show them obedience, right? My dad was a car salesman. He was a car salesman before I was born. And he stayed in the car business through the birth of my children, that's a lot of years in the car business. <laughs> in an industry with, with, I'll say, varying ethics and a pressure to pursue profits, he maintained integrity. I had, I had grown men that, that, that weren't what you would think of as being the most godly people in the world, okay? They came to me, and they would tell me, hey, your dad is a good man. See, my dad was in the world, but he was not of the world. My grandfather, he moved his family to California <clears throat> because that's where the work was. And he was making good money out there. 
And there was great weather, and there was cars, and there were conveniences and fun. And I've been told that my grandmother really liked that. She liked all that. <laughs> and I don't blame her, right? But once my grandfather had saved up to buy enough land back here in rural Arkansas, he left it. He left it all. He left it all for the life of a farmer of humble means, a life of hot summers and cold winters and outhouses. And my mom was born in a farmhouse without air conditioning or an indoor toilet. And that's where she grew up. Hot, sweltering summers, hoeing corn. She hated that. <laughs> Milking cows early in the morning before school. In the winter, cold. Y'all have milked cows. I've never milked a cow, but... You know what my mom really hated about milking cows? When you get that bucket good and full, and that cow shifts and plants that hoof right in the middle of that bucket and ruins the whole morning. <laughs> she hated that. That's the life that my grandfather chose for his family. He chose it. Didn't have all those conveniences, but it had a God-fearing community and a faithful church. Not just to grow corn and to raise cattle, to raise and tend that family. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place where he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. Wow! Wow! That's our father Abraham. He obeyed. You don't have to understand. Just obey. God, God's got the plan. He just wants us to obey. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Fathers, that's a, that's a high bar. He obeyed to the point to where he was going to Sacrifice his own son. How far is too far for you with God? How far will you go before you go, Nah, God, I'll go with you this far, but that's, that's, that's across the line. Show our kids that there is no line. See, James writes, Abraham believed God. He believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. The context of that in James is that faith without works is dead. You can show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works, right? The paraphrase is that if you aren't obeying it, you're not believing it. 
James continues, chapter 3, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. It's not what we want in our gardens. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness, he writes, is sown in peace by those who make peace. Jesus is speaking about the future, about how he's going to respond to a question from the righteous. When did we, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you, Jesus, a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So in righteousness. There's so unrighteousness. This is the oath which God, I'm in Luke chapter 1, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. To our father Abraham. To grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before Him all the days of our life. And that's the charge to us fathers today. Tend the garden. Tend the garden, fathers. If you're here today and uh, you haven't put Christ on in baptism, then now's the time. Why do you wait? Or if you need the prayers of the church, you just, you just want the prayers of the church. Here we are. Let's, let's come as we stand and sing. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.